Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bellotti, and I am super excited today to have two amazing guests, and we are going to talk about growth in places of ambiguity. So when things get messy and maybe your frameworks don't quite fit or you're just spinning up a growth team, there's a lot of art to getting going. And so I am joined by Thibaut Imbert, who is the VP of growth at GitHub, and Morgan Brown, who is a VP of growth at Shopify or the VP of growth at Shopify. Thibaut, Morgan, thanks for joining. Yeah, super excited to be here. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So why don't we do a quick intro on each of you? I'll ask you to intro yourself real quick, and then we will go ahead and jump into the topic. So Thibaut, why don't you go first? So I started my career as an engineer, then I became a teacher teaching programming, then later joined Adobe in 2008 and stayed at Adobe for more than 10 years across different roles from sales engineering to product management, and then more recently marketing. And I built the first growth team and the Creative Cloud organization and then the Spark team. And then uh, more recently joined GitHub as VP of growth. Hey everyone, I'm Morgan. I'm a VP of growth at Shopify. I'm responsible for all of our acquisition channels kind of across Shopify. So paid, organic, email, and a bunch of the tooling there. Prior to Shopify, I spent three years at Facebook where I was a product lead, leading a, a product team in the messenger organization. And before that, I wrote a book called Hacking Growth, which is about how growth teams are built and operate at technology companies. And I've spent basically 20 years of my career at the intersection of digital marketing and product, which we now call growth at a variety of stages of companies from early startups, kind of seed round A and B, all the way up to you know Facebook scale. So excited to be here. Fantastic. We've got two growth legends here, and we're going to go ahead and jump on in. So... The first question I've got is maybe Thibaut, you could tee this up because when we were talking, you you floated this idea and you based it in, you know, you switched from Adobe over to GitHub recently as VP of growth. Where is that team starting? Like maybe we could use that as a good starting point. So showing up, just getting growth going. Where's that team at and what, how do you think about it? Yeah. So... I think, you know, and when I was at Adobe, we, we started from zero, where really we created the growth function there. And so there was a lot more to be built, like groundwork in terms of like platform and, and everything, and even like culture. At GitHub, I'm lucky that there's been some great folks that have actually incubated growth for a while and had the resilience to show why growth matters to, uh, to the company. And they've had a lot, they've done a lot of groundwork. So when I, when I got there, you know, when you're building a new growth team, you might be like, okay, how do we do A-B testing? How do we prioritize experiments? How do we, there's a lot of, of technical stuff that you have to go through, especially on the platform side. So the good news is that a lot of that stuff was already built and laid out and the team had done some work. So what I did is I, I kind of like listened and uh, talked to people a lot, learned about what they had done, the customer research, the experiments, and I found two things. First, staffing, and that's the history of growth, right? And I think in general in marketing, staffing has, was a big blocker for the team. Data engineering, and so I was like, okay, we need to just enable the team to be able to run. So that was my first focus. And then the second thing was focus, actually. You know, often uh, as growth team, and I did that also at Adobe, you, you want to touch a lot of areas in the funnel because you, 
you want to be kind of like super scrappy and moving fast. But I think focus is paramount, especially when you have like a, a team that's still small and developing. So reducing the scope of the team was also something we wanted to do and be like, okay, we're just going to focus on that for the rest of the year and try to move the needle. So then we thought, okay, based on that metric we want to focus on that reduce scope, what are the key surfaces that we don't have too many folks working on at the same time where, so that we don't have too many cooks in the kitchen and also the highest volume of traffic. So we thought, okay, let's start with the pricing page. And I think that's when you laughed because you were like, okay, you know, like sometimes we go in growth and we're like, we're going to be thinking about, you know, these super like, you know, advanced, you know, concept or we're going to be studying all that stuff. We're going to do all this crazy data science. We're going to build these models talk about propensity and then you're like yeah let's look at the pricing page but the reality is that this is a high traffic page that actually talks about the value of the product and has a ton of opportunities for improvement so we're like okay let's just start there and morgan i would love to get a sense of you know you hopped over to shopify pretty recently mid last year what was the state that that team and group was in like what, what did you show up and there was like deep data sets and frameworks that people were operating with or was it a little bit earlier in the cycle. Yeah, for sure. So I think probably very similar to Tivo's experience. So, and I think this is re actually a really interesting kind of journey to think about for growth teams or trying to understand the stage that you're at as well. So obviously Shopify has experienced incredible growth over the, uh, you know, over its history, but particularly over the last year as the pandemic has really shifted consumer behavior and business behavior online. And Shopify is a great place for businesses to do that. And so they've seen really incredible growth in, in the usage of their product. But the journey of the growth team at Shopify has been, you know, there's been many iterations of it and kind of an evolution of it. So early on, the growth team was a, a small scrappy team looking for new audience and ways to extend Shopify's reach in kind of this like scrappy manner, low cost manner. Then the team evolved into a entire marketing organization, which was really responsible for all things marketing. But it was very heavy marketing, very little engineering or what we call R&D. So product, UX, engineering, data science. It was very kind of uh, more of a classic marketing organization. And then part of the mandate of my boss, Luke Levesque, and then myself joining from Facebook was to really kind of, okay, evolve it now from a marketing org into like a true growth organization. And many of the similar things that Tebow said, like one is we really shifted the, the focus and the makeup of the team. We have great world-class marketing talent, but we were missing the engineering UX and data capabilities. So really investing and in kind of changing the look of our team and the capability of our team in terms of skill set. And then again, also focus. So really trying to divest of all things marketing, but really understand the core growth drivers of Shopify's business and divest of stuff that didn't matter to those things. And so, you know, split out product marketing, split out brand and comms, split out teams that are focused on GMV growth because we're, we're very spe specifically focused on the number of merchants that use Shopify as our North Star. And so it's a lot of refactoring as kind of the, the two big things. And then the third thing we're really working on is that, that data infrastructure and that growth infrastructure to enable teams to run experiments faster, accelerate their learnings in different areas, build up data infrastructure kind of to that next next year, bring in some of the 
the modeling and that type of thing. So those are kind of been the three big focus areas for me over the last eight months so far. Got it. So you both showed up and there were, right, so a lot of refactoring at Shopify, a lot of just like basics at GitHub in terms of like, we'll start with the pricing page. I, so to me, when I think about ambiguity in growth, the, the way that you're both talking about it is that there's there, there's two very distinct layers of it. There's one in terms of like the ambiguity of the direction and strategy and like how we want the growth team to operate. And then there's also the day-to-day, I am at the ground level, I am doing a growth experiment and maybe I don't have the like data set to power the type of framework I, I wanna use. How do you think about the difference of those two and can one precede the other? Like, would you prefer to get the groundwork stuff? It sounds like you're instead focused on the high level ambiguity, getting that aligned first. I think that the first and most important thing, that's something I've learned is, is again, back to the focus. I think, you know, when we talk, I remember, you know, I think Sean and Morgan talked about the concept of North Star in their book and North Star metric. I think there's a lot of literature on that. And I think sometimes you end up chasing a lot of things. And I think so focusing is is where really it starts. Like no matter what the quality of the, uh, your experiments have to be focused on one specific thing. And so if you're not focused, then it's going to be really hard to actually go deep and, and really learn. So, so I think that's the, the most important thing is like, okay, what are we trying to move? What are we trying to increase? And let's actually measure that. And then from that focus, from that we'll stem Okay, so how is that going right now? What's the baseline? Well, do we have data or don't we have the data? Okay, if we were to run an A-B test, do we have enough volume in that? No, we actually don't. So any nothing would be statistic. Okay, so can we build any models based on that traffic for correlation analysis? No, we can't because we don't have instrumented this data. And so that's, I think, the life of a growth practitioner is that you have fantastic, I think, frameworks to explain and demystify the science of growth. But then the reality is that when you work in growth, you're going to have to deal with that. And what do you do? Do you say, well, then we can build a model. We don't have, we can't run A-B tests. So therefore, I declare that we don't need this team and I should find another job. And, and so I think that's the art of how do you go through that journey? How do you get people motivated to implement the things that you need on the platform? How do you actually find these quotes, anecdotal from customer research that will get a CEO or VPs or even anyone in the company to be like, oh, that's true. That sucks. We should fix it. That's really the the hustle as part of growth. It's yes, you'll get to a point where you'll have all this data at some point, but a lot of it is dealing with that ambiguity every day. Yeah, I think from my perspective, it really depends on two things, where you sit in your organization and the stage your company is at. So let's say you are part of a small team, say the email marketing team, content marketing team, something like that. There isn't a large growth team, but that you really want to bring some of the growth frameworks into practice, right? You wish you were experimenting more, you wish you were more data-driven, you want to kind of create that local culture you can start, your North Star can be the thing specific to your team. And the nice thing about this is you can implement kind of the growth best practices. Hey, we're going to experiment uh, with things. We're going to be hypothesis driven. We're going to use the data we have at our fingertips that's available, knowing that we have some gaps and that we have a North Star that we agree on, which is localized to our team, 
right? And you can create that culture and that environment within your team. And that can be the seeds of something that can snowball from there, right? So if you're a content marketing team, you're like, we actually need to generate more leads from our content marketing. Say we're a part of a sales motion or, you know, we have a MQL pipeline or whatever. So, hey, let's, let's really now focus on what we understand about what drives leads from our content marketing, what types of posts convert the best, you know, what's our session to lead, which pages seem to do better there or not. Like how do we inform our editorial strategy to kind of create more of those pages that seem to correlate with greater session to lead rates? How do we improve our session to lead rate? Do we have the right calls to action? You know, and I think some of the things you kind of look at there is you basically have kind of two levers, right? You have how many people you can get to participate in an experience, the participation rate, and then the conversion rate of that experience. And so you kind of like look at a couple of levers and that all works very locally. And really the framework we use at Facebook is called understand, identify, execute. And what you find, I think a lot in any role, but particularly in marketing growth roles is we're so impact driven. We, we want to have immediate results. And so we kind of spray and pray, you know, throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks. We don't do the customer research. We don't invest enough time in the understanding and identifying portion of our work because we're so hell-bent on execution that that other stuff seems like a cost or, or a luxury that we can't do. And so we kind of need to do more there. When you get into a, a larger organization, a more mature organization, if you're in a growth leadership, then that same understand, identify, execute framework applies, but then you're kind of looking more holistically. You know, you have the, the company strategy and then you have and the company mission. Then you have the growth strategy and mission. And, and then you have the teams within growth. They each have their strategies and missions. And you want all of that to be recursive back up to the main mission. And so you're using different leverage points. And, and But you're, the same kind of mental model framework applies for thinking about opportunities and leverage to, to kind of unlock and, and drive growth. But so it's really uh, context dependent for sure. So when I think about where at least I see growth teams struggle the most with this ambiguity is that you were saying identify, understand, execute, that most are going to over-optimize on one of the ends of that. So they're either going to over-optimize on execute because like I have so much ambiguity, like we just need to do stuff or we have so much ambiguity, I just need to get the data. How do you both think about like, how do you work to that middle ground? How do you know like this is a good balance of these things? I think I really like what, what Morgan was saying about the spending uh, more time on the understanding part and the qualitative. I think, not to repeat Morgan, but I think, you know, I used to tell my team it's it's all about, you know, uh, the qual and the quant and, and qual is really the why and, and quant is, is the what. And so I will tell you, Matt, I think many times in my career in growth, there's been moments where I was like, OK, we actually need to spend more time understanding. And that qual actually has, I don't know uh, about you two, but I've been in a lot of meetings where anecdotes and stories can have dramatic impact on actually, you know, the strategy, actually, sometimes more than than the quant, because storytelling is so powerful. And so the thing that I've noticed is that going back to understanding the customers and identify really the problems, understanding who the customers are, their problems, it really stems from that. And it usually has a lot of power in like, as you build your pipeline of experiments that are more quant, as you figure out the technical challenges that you need to figure out as you staff and hire a team, 
how can you learn? And these learnings are incredibly powerful because you can go to executives or anyone in the company and be like, okay, we're doing that. That's our pipeline. That's where we're going to play. This is uh, the KPI we're going to be looking at. In the meantime, while we do all that, uh, we decided to spend a lot of time researching and understanding really kind of like what's going on, the baseline and talking to customers. Um, and that will not only give you time to figure out the executional, the challenges that you have on hiring or or the platform, but it will also inform what you do later. So I do believe it's actually helping you buy you some time in some ways while you figure out how you execute and how you operationalize the, the whole thing. But it also helps you ground yourself into the reality so that you're not making basically shit up later. Yeah, and I think one of the most important parts from any growth practitioner, growth teams especially, is just the intellectual honesty you have with yourself about what you know and you don't know, right? So at Shopify, Kaz, who runs our merchant services team, he he has a famous saying, he's like, just say the thing, right? Like, if you don't know, you should say, don't know, you know, as, as Tebow said, stories are so powerful. And so when we, we have to be careful and also realize that stories are powerful, they're not necessarily true, and they're not always perfectly accurate. And so we have to have a really like strong intellectual honesty with each other to say, hey, you know, our assumption is this, or our hypothesis is this, or we believe this to be true, or, and that specificity and that clarity will make sure that you stay honest with yourself and your team about the knowns, the known knowns, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. And, you know, kind of like I played a lot of uh, Zelda as a kid on the original Nintendo, you know, and you're walking around in a dungeon and your torch only lights up a few squares around you. And then, but you know, you're in a maze and you can only see a little bit of the horizon and then you can like light up rooms and then you can find the map and unlock the entire dungeon map and that type of thing. And on a growth team, depending on where you are and your data capability, your user research capability, you might just be seeing a couple squares around you. And if that's true, don't pretend you have the whole map. Don't tell everyone you have it all figured out. Be really honest. Like, hey, this is as far as we can see. This is what we think we know. Shamath, who led the original growth team at Facebook, has a very famous saying that growth team's job is to invalidate lore, which basically means make sure that the stories you're telling yourself are actually true. And you try to like move towards a better understanding of reality, not just a comfortable story that you tell yourself. And so that objectivity, I think, is a key Thing. And so when you don't know, when you're very early and you're trying to make decisions without perfect data, and to be clear, no one has perfect data. Let's just like put that out there. But even when you have very spotty data, what you want to do is you want to show your work. You want to clarify the assumptions that are going into the recommendations, right? Like Because a lot of debate when you don't have perfect data is people are bringing different assumptions about what could be true to the table. And if those are not like clearly articulated and laid out, then you can't really reason around those assumptions and understand if they make sense, challenge them and that type of thing. So I think like unmasking some of the assumptions that go into decision-making in ambiguity is a key kind of unlock for growth teams to be more productive, more aligned, and, and hopefully more effective as well. Yeah, I love that. You got to get the assumptions out on the table, make those clear especially when you don't have perfect data sets. So I, I want to dig in on something you said, Morgan, which is that let's be clear, nobody has perfect data because I think there is this narrative in the world of growth that like 
all these amazing companies with these amazing growth people, like they have these perfect data sets and data systems. And so when I think a lot of people get started in the growth function, they get rolling and they super optimize for getting the data right. So what advice would you give in terms of how do I in parallel get to the data that I want? Like how do I set aside resourcing to get to that point? Is it something that should be top of mind in any experiment that we're running? Or is it like a long-term initiative that we have to like take steps towards? One thing I'll say is, and, and thanks Morgan for saying this, I think it's it's a, it's it's the truth. It's something we need to say more because uh, as, as you and I were chatting, Matt, initially, when you start in growth, you read a lot of amazing stories and you're like, like, you know, wow, like I, there's no way I have this data. I just don't have that. And so it's, it's, it can be super kind of like, you know, uh, frustrating and when you start. So yes, it, no one I've never in, you know, in my career so far, uh, it's always been, it's always been a challenge, but I think the, the thing that goes back to what we were talking about earlier is focus. I think in my in my career in the past, you know, you end up if you're not focused, then you end up having, you know, data issue is even a bigger problem because you're chasing all these things. So you, if you're not focused, you're going to be doing data hoarding. You're going to be like, OK, what about this? What about that? And everywhere you look, every rock you're going to flip, someone's going to tell you, oh, well, this hasn't been instrumented or actually it's broken and you're going to you're going to drive, drive yourself crazy. So I think it starts with focus. If you care, you know, depending on what growth means to the company, back to Morgan's point and the maturity, is it revenue? Is it acquisition? Is it activation? And maybe these things are not even things that people familiarize with. But depending on what really growth is to the company, what's your focus? What's your KPI? What is the thing that you want to move? Okay, then from there, do you have this data? And so hopefully that focus simplifies your, your data quest. Because otherwise, if you're not focused, then you're guaranteed to fail because you're going to think that basically you don't have access to any data. And the other thing is, once you have this focus and you can get your hand into some level of baseline data, whether it's from a report or you have to query it yourself or get someone to get that for you, it's really about democratizing access to it and making it visible. And so that it's it's actually something that's actionable and visible to the team so that you can keep track of it. So I think one is focus and the other one is accessibility and visibility of this data. Yeah. So just a plus one on the focus piece. I think that really goes back to understanding, you know, how your business grows. What are the most important inputs into that growth? And then, you know, kind of asking yourself the question of like, what would I do different if I had this data? Right. And you can kind of use that as a as a prioritization for how you go about thinking about the data that you need to go after and collect. So if you're like, hey, the way someone signs up for our product is really important because if we find places where they're blocked in that process or they're running into like cognitive overhead or we see conversion drop offs or differences on devices and that type of thing, that would change the way we think about onboarding people into our product. That seems like a high priority. You probably want to get that flow instrumented, right? And so that kind of goes into the understand and identify buckets where it's like, hey, we actually, and this is where you have to be really honest with yourselves. Our signup flow is not instrumented to a level that is sufficient for us to make really high quality decisions about what to do next there. Cool. That seems that goes right to the top of the stack. If you're like, hey, I wonder, you know, how many people you know, ultimately try to reset their password or change their user profile handle or use this customization feature. Unless those things are mission critical to your current area of focus, 
that you probably want to grow towards those, right? Even when I was at Facebook, you would get into parts of the product where it'd be like, oh, we actually don't have logging in place there. We actually, we don't have, this isn't, there isn't telemetry in this part of the experience to kind of answer the questions that we have. So the first step would be, okay, should we put the telemetry in there? Yes or no? If so, what do we need specifically and how much time do we, you know, what's the right level of fidelity to answer that question? And so I do think there are big parts of a lot of marketing and growth teams mandate where they don't have visibility to very basic stuff because the logging hasn't been put in and so they're just kind of, you know, they're, they're, there's a missing piece of the puzzle there. And so it's really hard to say, hey, we're going to stop doing this, like, you know, maybe more sexy thing and go put in the logging. But we know that's absolutely the right thing to do. And then you want to make sure that it's framed really well, like there's a good output to it. Engineers are going to want to know why they should spend their time doing this people on your team should ask hard questions about what do we expect to get out of it? What are we going to do differently once we have this data? And that can really help you use very limited resources to prioritize the highest leverage understanding. But I think that's a really big unlock for a lot of growth teams is the logging, the telemetry for a lot of their key systems and services is actually insufficient as it stands. One thing I'll just add, Matt, is And that's one thing that I've learned at Reforge that has been, I think, critical in my career as a practitioner, thinking about inputs rather than outputs. I think, you know, when I started, I was like, okay, so there's, you know, I think Facebook kind of like, you know, made the Mao thing a thing where this is how you think about, you know, the growth of your business overall. But uh, shifting from, okay, Mao to the inputs to Mao, such as, you know, okay, like, How does that, you know, the growth accounting works, acquisition, activation, attributes for engagement and conversion to paid. Understanding that growth ultimately is an output and what matters for growth team is the inputs. And so when you think that way, then you can start being super laser focused on the input that you want your team to focus on. And then that simplifies your data, again, uh, journey because you can say, yeah, I know all that stuff maybe might be broken, but I just need this. And, and you might get to proxy. For instance, I've been in situations where there isn't uh, specifically click events. And so uh, the team is relying on page visits and kind of super creative workarounds to get an estimation of the traffic. But again, if you go to the data team and kind of like have this long spreadsheet of like, you know, 20 requests and it's like all over the place, like guaranteed team is going to be like, okay, like this is going to require a team. I don't have time. How is this more important than this? And then you get into this art of negotiation and getting people to understand what. And then so you really want to start with like, hey, I just need that. That is the thing that I need right now. So again, back to the focus and the inputs rather than the outputs, I think is very important. So I want to circle back to something that we talked about earlier, which was the the stratification of the ambiguity. So there's the ground level ambiguity on, you know, what are we going to work on next? Do we have the data for it? Then there is the ambiguity of like the the strategic, what are we working on? Morgan, you mentioned something that I think is true of a lot of growth teams. You know, you were saying that Shopify, like the growth team turned from this version to this more marketing version and then this other version. And I think a lot of growth organizations go through that process. And I think a lot of that comes from the ambiguity maybe from like the leadership or the founders of a company because they say we want a growth team growth teams get us more money like 
go, right? And then the, the teams just kind of like fumble around with the ambiguity of purpose. And so I would love to, to get a sense from, from both of you on like, how do you anchor that ambiguity of purpose? Yeah. And I think you're totally right, Matt, that a lot of people have kind of reflexively said, we just need a growth team. Hire a growth team. All right, marketing, you're now growth. You know, everyone put growth in their titles and uh, we'll be good. Hire a chief growth officer, whatever. Yeah, and I think the really important parts, and I think the the things that companies like uh, Facebook and, and companies that have reached a, a certain scale realize is that, to Tebow's point, there are pieces of the puzzle, pieces of the growth flywheel, the inputs, so to speak, that deserve full-time attention from people. And oftentimes, I think a lot of the ambiguity comes in like, hey, you're now also doing growth. Okay, well, you know, what does that actually mean? What is the most important thing to the success of the company, right? So kind of going back to Facebook, their core growth team focuses on monthly active users and daily active users, the people that open the app and use the app. And then all of the product teams rely on that traffic and that audience. And so at, at Facebook, you actually have three different levels of growth teams. You have the core growth team, which is focused on monthly active users, daily active users. The product teams like a marketplace or groups or whatever also have growth teams, which is thinking about how their product adoption grows and, and usage and health of that product. And then you have the product growth team, which is a center of excellence team that can embed with different product teams to help them unlock and change the trajectory of growth of that product. So you kind of have these three different layers. And so again, I think it goes back to your point, like, okay, what is the growth team trying to solve for? You know, is the growth team trying to solve for a business segment? Okay, what, it, what in that business segment is important? Are they trying to discover new opportunities that don't currently exist? Okay, what are we trying to do there? Are they trying to scale something that exists currently? So, you know, you can take something like, for example, at Shopify, we have Shopify Plus, which is for large brands, Kylie Jenner's of the world, you know, and they have growth teams that are focused on, you know, that's a very sales driven process, high touch, you know, they have their own metrics and things that, that matter there. In my team, we're really focused on the number of merchants that use Shopify around the world. So we want, you know, kind of as an input to the whole Shopify flywheel is the number of people that are using the platform to be successful. And so that's a very different set of outcomes than the Shopify plus team. And so we have different teams dedicated to those areas. And so the main question to ask is like, okay, what are we solving for? Why is that important? What do we expect to get out of the investment? And is there a better way to get there? And yeah, the answer is not everyone needs a growth team, but it's like, okay, are there parts of the puzzle? Are there parts of the flywheel that deserve always on attention that is either, you know, someone's part-time job hasn't been addressed sitting on the side of someone's desk. And then can we put dedicated focus there is really where I've seen the most leverage. It's so true. I have been, um, again, back to the focus, it starts with what growth means to the company. I remember talking to founders recently where it's really an acquisition problem. We're trying to, hey, we're, you know, we're growing super fast. We think we have an amazing fit. We just want to grow. We want to see that super nice, you know, curve. And we think it's all about acquisition. When I was at Adobe, obviously it's a multi-billion dollar business. It's, it's not necessarily an acquisition play, though we had actually some opportunities there and we did a lot of work, but it was 
more revenue. It's also another thing in a place of ambiguity, where does the growth team organization sit? Depending on where you are, you know, it will dramatically impact the focus and, you know, what really the success of the team is going to be. If you are, are under revenue or a chief CFO, guaranteed it's going to be more about revenue than, you know, activation or acquisition. If you're under a VP of marketing, maybe it's going to be a blend of both. And I think the first thing I did when I joined GitHub, I talked to, to my boss, I was like, all right, is this what we care about? Is this like the most important thing? Is it this, this or that? And she was like, okay, that's to me the most important thing. And, you know, she's the SVP of revenue. So clearly what we care about is going to be growing, growing the business. And so I think that's so important because I remember also talking to recently to uh, founders that raised Series A and there was this challenge of like, where do they sit? Do they focus on this? Do they, what is product growth? And product growth is also another thing that now came up recently, which is like Morgan was saying kind of like, this growth team as part of product that really touches in the in-product funnel and doesn't touch the other aspects, more like building growth loops. So it's a complex beast. And so I think the most important thing is to start with like, what is growth? Where are we going to play? And what does success look like? And if you're kind of in the operating team, you know, if you're not in the, the executive leadership or whatever, and you're kind of trying to make the case for it, then I think you really want to try to build alignment with the way you're investing and you kind of want to, you know, again, you want to build the case for it. Like why, what, what's the opportunity that we're leaving on the table? What do we trade off if we do this? What's the opportunity cost? What do we expect to get out of it? What do we expect if we go this far to step A versus we go all the way to step Z and build that business case for the opportunity size and the potential impact of it, and then get alignment with the next level up. Hey, is this thing that we think is important? Is that important to you? Does that fit in to the ultimate strategy of the org and then ultimately the company and, and really try to drive that alignment for your team so you're not kind of like spinning your wheels ahead of time when you don't have like strong alignment that this is this is a thing that matters. And that's particularly true in larger organizations. Yeah, it almost seems like you have to force the issue of clarity on the hypothesis of the growth team for any you know extended period of time, both with the team itself so that the the operators can run their experiments and know what their focus is, but also at the leadership level. You have to force the issue to get clarity on the hypothesis of this team is to solve this acquisition issue or this retention issue or whatever it might be. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And if you're if you're a new team, if it's unproven, if the company doesn't have a history of growth teams, like it's gonna be a slog. It's gonna be really hard. And so people have other priorities, other roadmaps, legacy ways of working. And so I think the, the best thing you can do in, in that instance is really start locally, start on something that's important, but maybe it's not super political, start on something in your control where you can demonstrate some early success and say, hey, we've been operating this way. You know, we, we snagged an engineer part time to help us, you know, do some stuff in our funnel, or we've really been focused on this specific metric and we've seen the ability to move it and we think we could do a lot more. And Say if you're trying to spin up a new growth team kind of from scratch and you're like, hey, we're going to go work on, you know, Facebook.com, the main landing page for all of Facebook, and we're going to like redesign it. Yeah, 
no, you're not going to start there, right? And so I think it's really important to have some good kind of situational awareness about where you are and, and then how do you build up some confidence in the approach and demonstrated results that will help you amplify. You know, it's, it's not something you can snap your fingers and have done. So just have to be real about that. What, what you just talked about, Morgan, is I feel like is this could be like a, a, a three-hour conversation about the alliances. How do you build early support? How do you build the trust? And you're absolutely right. You want to start in places that I like to call little islands, right? You want to start on a place where people, you know, know that it's it's a place that can be optimized, but it's not something that's like where you have like a team that's building something completely new, where you're going to be the new person and be like, hey, yeah, we're going to change that. And there's a team that's been working on the strategy for six months already. But building that support. And I think one thing I've learned is also, this is something I tell my team often, like growth to me at this point, after five, six years doing it, is summarized as basically optimizing and, and telling teams that we can probably optimize things and do better. Now, if you think about it, You can do this by sounding like a total jerk, or you can sound like someone that really is truly here to help and actually is a partner. And so I think having high EQ, being able to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to help, bringing learnings, bringing quality of research and quantity of insights to product teams and engineers and saying, hey, this is what we've learned. We think we can help. We thought that there's this area of the funnel where we're going to focus. Generally, All the time, I've seen engineers and people be like, hell yeah, help us. And that's where, like Morgan was saying, you can get an engineer or a PM that will have influence and, and actually power to actually prioritize things to help you. Because they're going to be like, actually, I like how these people are thinking. I think they're onto something. I agree. I, wa I, I want them to be successful. And I, I think we're in this together. And I think that that's so important. I think that, that EQ and knowing what you don't know and being humble about it, but at the same time, showing that you're willing to go deep and actually get the data and run the customer research and then where these multiple hats is the art of growth and where you can basically be that connective tissue between product and engineering and be like, all right, I'm going to help. I think this is, this is so important. Yeah, and that's where I think really understanding how the product actually grows, what's important, right? The way you build confidence and alliances is by having a really strong, logical, and structured approach to unlocking impact, right? Because everyone at the company wants to have impact. And so if you can bring to them a really strong, reasoned argument, that will be your best asset in terms of like building confidence and, and building those alliances. I also think it's really important when you get into a new area or service, even if you have some good hypotheses, One of my favorite quotes, I don't know if you've watched Ted Lasso or not, but one of my favorite quotes in there, from there is be curious, not judgmental, right? And I think like when you come to a new, as Walt Whitman said originally, my wife even got me a t-shirt with that on there because I love it so much. And like when you come to a new surface or when you're coming to a new team as, you know, someone who's trying to unlock more value, you also have to be really curious about why things are the way they are and not assume that, you know, immediately how they should be better. And you really want that, that approach that uh, Thibaut talked about of coming from a place of collaboration and ability to unlock additional impact, not a place of, well, this is obviously wrong or whatever. And you really want to be curious about why things are the way they are before you start to dive in and change things. 
All right, we are approaching the top of the hour here. I want to be respectful of both of your times. I feel like this could be a conversation that can go on for, for hours, I'm sure. Morgan, Thibault, this has been amazing. Any final parting words on this topic before we close out? Yeah, I'll just circle back to kind of what I started with, which is there's kind of three phases, understand, identify, and execute. Too much time is spent on execute, not enough time spent on understanding. If you understand what the company is trying to achieve, how it grows, your role in it, and you kind of have that good mental model in place, then you can start to identify the biggest points of leverage in that system and in that space to have the greatest impact. And then once you do that, you can then start to execute. And as you go through the understanding and identifying phase, you'll identify the places of ambiguity. And then you want to call those out. And either it's you either say to yourself, this is ambiguity I'm willing to deal with. This is ambiguity I need to address over the midterm. Or this is ambiguity I need to fix right now in order to be maximally effective. And by using that approach, you can get to a really good spot where you're intellectually honest about what you know and don't know, and then what you can affect and can't affect right now. And that will help you be maximally effective when you go to execute versus kind of spraying and praying and being all over the place. Yeah, I love what, what Morgan said. I'll just add, I think focus is paramount. Focus on the inputs and really be laser focused on that and try to understand really what growth means to the company so that you can know if you're going to be successful and you're going to get the support at the end of the day and not focus on, on actually vanity metrics and activity rather than really output and impact. And again, that impact can be can be different based on the maturity of the company. So clarifying that upfront and getting the team to be aligned on this is what we're going to be focusing on for the next six to eight months or even a year. And the team might be thinking, wow, okay, so you're boxing us to this thing, but it's really a land and expand strategy. And I think that that's more likely to be uh, to be successful and help you as you, <laughs> I like the Zelda analogy, as you go into your data quest, actually start with a, a simpler sandbox uh, rather than trying to, you know, boil the ocean. Absolutely love that. Morgan, Thibault, thank you so much for joining on the podcast. This has been fantastic. Loved digging into this topic. Really appreciate you taking your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you both again. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody who is listening, whether you're live on Clubhouse or listening to the podcast. I know there are so many other things you could spend your time on listening to, watching, reading, whatever it might be. And the fact that you're spending your time here with us is super appreciated. So thank you for listening. If you're a fan of this episode, there are many other amazing guests and episodes that I have in this podcast. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you have any feedback, my email is mattatrove.com. I'm always welcome to anything at all that you've got. Thank you again for listening and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks.